Hello, and welcome to the Physiatry Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Abhinash Ramchadani. Today, we are presenting to you variants, vaccines, vaccine efficacy, and 500,000 deaths in the United States of COVID-19. This is episode number five, season number two. Remember, if you have any questions for me, send me an email at physiatrypodcast at gmail.com. This is a new email address, physiatrypodcast at gmail.com. Furthermore, if you have any questions or anything else you'd like to talk about, just send me an email and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. There's also a Facebook page. You can message me on Facebook or send me a tweet. So let's talk first about variants. What the heck are we talking about when we talk about a variant of a disease or variant of COVID-19? When we have a variant, we have a mutation that happens in the parental stain or strain of the disease or the RNA that makes the disease. So COVID-19, let's step back here. COVID-19 is caused by SARS-CoV-2, which is a virus, as we all know. The virus is caused, actually has RNA in it. And this RNA creates the genetic material for the disease or for the virus. Now, that RNA gets infected into the into the cell by actually injecting itself into one of our cells, replicating itself, and then making more virus. That's how it basically works. So what happens when we have a mutation in RNA? Now, RNA mutates all the time, including in our cells. It mutates all the time. That is one reason why we can get cancer, believe it or not. But in any case, that's not the point. So anyway, RNA changes and then gets infected again into our cell. So this mutation goes into our cell, mutates, and then changes the way the virus behaves. It can become a little bit more infectious or a little bit less infectious or or even completely change in its own behavior. The special thing about the COVID-19 virus or the SARS-CoV-2 virus is that it has what's called a spike protein. And many people have heard about the spike protein. So the spike protein is what actually causes the protein to come into our body. So it attaches to the ACE2 receptor, which is widely available throughout our body. This is why COVID-19 likely causes all the weird effects that it does. Any case, it actually goes into the body through the ACE2 receptor, and the spike protein is what's being mutated and causing different strains. Now, the vaccines that we have vaccinate against the spike protein. So what actually happened was that they found the DNA sequence for the spike protein and created the vaccine that they have now. This is the vaccine that is an mRNA vaccine. Okay, so when is a mutation a strain and when is a strain a mutation? Well, all strains are mutations and all mutations are not strains. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Well, here's the point. A mutation is not necessarily a new strain. That is because the variant or the mutation may not cause this SARS-CoV-2 virus to behave differently, but a variant is always a mutation because it's different than the original SARS-CoV-2 virus that was there before. So the variant is always a mutation, but a mutation is not necessarily always a variant. 
who thought we were going to have an SAT lesson today. Now we have several different variants out there. There is what they call the UK variant, which is called B1.1.7, the South African variant, which is called B.1.351, the Brazilian variant, which is P.1, and then there are other variants that are probably not very widely known or widely available to be genetically sequenced because we've been sort of slow with genetically sequencing here in the United States. Therefore, there may be other variants that we don't even know about, and that could be an issue. So in any case, there is probably other variants out there that we don't know about. Now, each one of these variants probably have several mutations. We know the UK, South African, and the Brazilian variants all have several mutations in the spike protein, and they may also have variants in or mutations in other proteins. And actually, each virus, which it, the virus has multiple different viruses when it gets infected into a body, they probably all have some small mutations as they get genetically more varied and produce in humans. That being said, the virus has been mutating ever since it was in humans and mutating towards humans versus towards whatever other animal it did come from. In any case, that's enough about variants and mutations. Let's talk about vaccines and their efficacy against these mutations. All right, so let's now talk about the vaccines. We have right now two vaccines available to the United States, which are the Pfizer BioNTech and the Moderna vaccine, which are both what's called mRNA vaccines. And we've talked about these in the past. The mRNA vaccines are RNA-based vaccines, which are actual RNA molecules that are packaged in a a lipid package, which is kind of like a cell that has RNA in it. Now, in any case, these vaccines are available and they are against the initial variant of SARS-CoV-2, which prevents COVID-19 quite a bit. Now, there are a couple other vaccines that are in phase three trials, including the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is out in the UK, as well as in some other countries. There is also the Novavax vaccine and the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. These two vaccines are both in phase three trials and the Johnson & Johnson vaccine should be released for emergency use this week here in the United States. And the key thing about these vaccines is that they all protect against severe disease. When you look at the data, the vaccines produce effects between 85 and 95 percent in preventing severe hospitalization or death. This is so for the Moderna and Pfizer and tech Pfizer BioNTech vaccines, they prevent severe disease for SARS-CoV-2 in 94 and 95 percent, 94 for Moderna, 95 percent for Pfizer, although this is so close that they're essentially equivalent. Now, when we look at that, and we look at them compared to how it affects the other variants, it does lose some efficacy, but they still prevent disease in about anywhere from 60 to 90% in the other 
diseases as well. If you look at the all right, so let's talk about a real world example of a vaccine and how it works. And we have a bunch of people that are vaccinated here in the United States, but the studies are much better coming from Israel. Now, Israel has vaccinated approximately, I think it's about 75% of the patients 60 years or older at this point. It's at least 50%, but it's uh, quite a bit. Uh, there are barely any that are vaccinated between the ages of zero and 59, except for, of course, healthcare workers. So let's talk about how it's changed what's going on in Israel. So the couple things that are good. Now, one of the things that we've seen in Israel is a reduction in the amount of transmission of COVID-19, and that has been about 89%. So 89% of people that have had vaccines have actually had a decrease in the amount of transmission of the virus from one person to another. This is really good news. and. This is with a caveat, and I'll get to that in a second. But the good news is that if it is not transmissible once you get a vaccine, then we may not need to wear masks and protect ourselves from distributing the the, the virus to other people. And that's the key thing about masks. Again, masks, as I've said many times in the past, masks do not protect yourself, it protects other people from getting it from you. So just assume you're infected and then you are preventing the spread. In any case, so 89% reduction in transmission of the disease in people that have been vaccinated. Now, the caveat in that is that we do not know exactly how many of those people were not infected. So it could be less than that because they are asymptomatic infections. On the other hand, when we look at patients that have gotten vaccines, we see a huge decrease in the amount of of hospitalizations and deaths, especially in age 60 and above. And of course, hospitalizations and deaths are a lagging indicator, meaning that once you get infected, you don't go to the hospital till a week or two weeks after getting infected. Therefore, when we look at this, the hospitalizations and deaths have gone down so much that it's pretty incredible. And we think that after the second dose, people should also get decrease in uh, hospitalizations here in the United States. The other thing that the Israeli data shows is that since the Israelis are infected with 50% of the United Kingdom variant or the UK variant of the COVID-19 virus, also known as SARS-CoV-2, it actually is pretty protective against that variant of the disease. Now, some people have been infected with the Ugandan variant, which I haven't talked about, or the South African variant in in Israel, and we're not quite sure if that works so well against those variants. Now, Pfizer and Moderna are both working on a third shot. So both of these shots or both of these vaccines are two phase shots. You get one shot and then a second shot. And they're working on a third shot for 
protection against these variants. Now, it should be much easier to get this shot out compared to the other ones because, you know, it, with an mRNA vaccine, all you have to do is change a little bit of the, of the RNA inside that vaccine and then send it out again. So they're testing this and seeing how effective it can be against these other variants. Now, the issue is that the vaccines that we have out, including the Oxford vaccine, the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, are not very effective against the South African variant of COVID, SARS-CoV-2. So we know that it is effective against the UK virus and should be should work pretty well against the UK variant, but may not work very well against the South African variant, which is complicated and interesting, but the other thing to know about the UK variant and the South African variant is that they are likely more infectious than the original variant of SARS-CoV-2, which I'll tell you is pretty infectious. You can get it pretty easily by being close to someone else, even for a few minutes. One of the things about the South African variant is that South Africa actually halted the rollout of the AstraZeneca vaccine after analysis showed that it provided minimal protection against mild COVID-19, although the data was based on a small number of patients and researchers are still investigating this. One of the things that's going on right now is that vaccines are really hard to get. I looked online at CVS, Safeway, other different grocery stores and chains that are giving vaccines right now, it is extremely difficult to get a vaccine, even if you are in the eligible area of getting a vaccine. Currently in the United States, we have given about 19% of people vaccines compared to Israel, which has given 30% of their population vaccines and 80% of people above the age of 60 vaccines. This is all very good news and cautiously optimistic. Now, the problem is that there are still people dying. I do know of someone that died this last week from COVID-19. It is still extremely infectious. There are still people getting the disease. So by all sakes, please continue to mask, continue to be safe and continue to do the things that you need to do to prevent getting COVID-19 and prevent spreading COVID-19. I'd also like to talk a little bit about COVID-19 long haulers. This is a new sort of term where people with COVID-19 have gotten the disease and now are suffering with its effects of the disease for years and years, or at least now months and months after they initially got COVID-19. What does this mean? So people that have had COVID-19 can have lingering effects for months after getting the disease and maybe even a lifetime after getting the disease. We don't know how many people this is, but we think it's about 5% of people that actually get infected with COVID-19 end up being what's called COVID long haulers. So directly from the UC Davis website on coronavirus and long haulers, there is a list of long hauler symptoms, which can include long symptoms of coughing, sometimes debilitating fatigue, body aches, joint pain, shortness of breath, loss of taste and smell, which could be a long time thing, and that could suck for some people, difficulty sleeping, headaches, brain fog. This sounds like what can happen 
for a lot of people when they have a rheumatic disease like fibromyalgia or something like that. But of course, this is COVID-19. Now, why do long haulers continue to experience these things? We don't know exactly why, but these patients are now negative for COVID-19. There is nothing to know that they actually have COVID-19 at this time, but they are negative. They don't actually have the disease anymore or they don't have the virus that causes the disease, but they have the lingering effects for these patients. Now, it is very difficult to treat this because these are such odd symptoms that you sort of treat everything symptomatically. There are sometimes things that are found on a CT scan of the chest where you can see what are called ground glass opacities. And these sometimes can cause the coughing, the fatigue, or something else. And this is caused by a separate type of infection, which can happen with COVID-19. There are some estimates that there are up to a third of patients that actually are long haulers and and even though 90% of patients with the average age of 48 suffered only mild to moderate COVID-19 and didn't need hospitalization, they still had long haul effects, including this coughing, the fatigue, the, oh, this is, this was a test actually. They, they studied 177 people in Seattle and that's where they got these notes. As people get older, the chances of getting this long-hauled COVID-19 is higher. In fact, it seems to be about 30% of people between the ages of 40 and 64, 27% of patients between the ages of 18 and 39, and 43% of patients that are age 65 and older. Now, that sucks if you get COVID-19 and then you have this long-term effect. That really is not fun. So again, if you are hesitant on getting a vaccine, would you rather get a vaccine or would you rather get COVID-19 and get long hauled effects? There is a rumor out there that talks about the COVID-19 vaccine and it causing effects of uh, infertility. Now, these rumors are completely wrong. In fact, COVID-19, the disease, not the vaccine, can cause infertility more than the Vaccine. Now, studies are not out there, but there is a lot of evidence from patients that I know that have gotten COVID-19. They check their sperm count after they've had COVID-19 and their sperm count has gone down significantly. So don't get COVID-19. Get a vaccine and try to avoid getting COVID-19 because if you do get COVID-19, the chances of you becoming infertile or less fertile is higher. So think about that. In any case, thank you so much for listening to the Physiatry Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Ramchandani. If you have any questions, you can always send me an email at physiatrypodcast at gmail.com. I will be looking at my emails there and any other questions or any other issues, please send me an email there as well at physiatrypodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook or Twitter or maybe Instagram. I think I'm on Instagram as well. I don't really check that, but I think it automatically feeds into my Facebook. I do want to say one more thing. This year has been, this last year since March 2020 till 
right now it's February 23rd, 2021. It's been pretty hectic for a lot of people. You know, a lot of us physicians and nurses and healthcare workers have really not taken much time off. I really recommend taking time off. It is really important to take a little bit of time for yourself and remember what are the important things in life, including your family, your children, the other things that are super important, including just getting time away and thinking about what life is and what its meaning is doing some yoga, doing some exercise, doing things that really keep you happy, awake, alive, and alert. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all my listeners. And again, stay safe and I hope to hear from you and I will see you next week. 